You're listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast that brings you all the news and stories from the 55 UEFA countries. On this episode of The Sweeper, we'll be rounding up all the news and stories from across the continent this January, including the Maltese club whose president wants to play, San Marino's bottom team becoming league leaders, and the Israeli side that won a competition without scoring a goal. Hello and welcome to the Sweeper podcast, the first since our relaunch after a sad 18-month podcastless spell in the wilderness. But now we're back and with an all-new team and some big ambitions too. I'm your co-host Lee Wingate and I'm joined today and going forward by my fellow host Paul Watson, a much-needed arrival who's been drafted in on the final day of the January transfer window. Paul, welcome to the Sweeper team. What convinced you to sign and how do you think the football world will react to this transfer? (laughs) You know, I've always loved the project, you know, that much. Um, But unlike a football signing who says that to mean they're getting packets of cash, um, I really genuinely love the project. Um, Been a big fan of the Sweeper for a long time and um, I've noticed on so many occasions that we, we tend to tweet about pretty much the same things, which are not the things most people are tweeting about. So it's it's a real pleasure to have been yeah snapped up for an undisclosed fee um, somewhere <laughs> around deadline day. Well, we're delighted to have you on board. Uh, I have been following your content on the, the random and obscure of global football uh, ever since reading that article, which I've, I've told you about already, the article that you wrote when you went to the, the Greenlandic Football Championship back in 2016 and you were painting a really nice picture of, of how all of these players come together from across Greenland and play football for the one week of the year that they can without the snow. And it, it was your article that sort of... Yeah, motivated me and inspired me to to make a a sweeper pod episode a couple of years back about Greenland. So I'm really delighted that that we're collaborating together now on on the sweeper. Yeah, it's it's really nice to hear you say that. That Greenland piece was still still for me like one of my biggest labors of love. I really really wanted to do that commission, and I remember desperately trying to contrive a way for me to get to get to Greenland for years, and finally it all fell into place in in 2016. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. And pretty much every year that goes by, I'm like, I'm going to go back to Greenland for this year. And it just never quite happens. So I'm still really happy I got to nuke. And it led to this in some very strange (laughs) pattern. The universe decided it would lead to this moment. Greenland is one of quite a a long list of of footballing exploits on your CV. And uh, I think I might, just for the purposes of introduction, for those listeners who aren't familiar with you yet, uh, read a little bit from your Wikipedia page because you, you do have a Wikipedia page. I don't know how one gets one, but but you've got one. Yeah, and I didn't write it myself. <laughs> <That's> what... <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to write it yourself. I think they, they see through that somehow. But um, yeah, but, but please do. I, I've got to say, I haven't read it lately. Um, I'm not sure how much it's true. Let's see then. Uh, it starts off by saying... Paul Watson is best known for serving as the coach of the Pompeii State football team and the Federated States of Micronesia in 2009 and 2010, an experience about which he wrote the 2012 book Up Pompeii. He later moved to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, to assist in the founding of a new team, Bavangol FC. In 2018, he was the lead organiser and tournament director 
for the Kanifa World Football Cup in London for nations, states and people not recognised by FIFA. Is that accurate? And does that does yeah. that sum you up pretty well? It sounds very weird when you read it like that. But yeah, um, <laughs> there's, there's also a lot of blank in there when you put that together. There's a lot of years of not getting any, any jobs. Someone said recently that apparently I'm in football manager as an option. You can sort of, I don't know, be me or something. And they he sent me a screenshot of him. I don't know whether he was like representative he's being Paul Watson. And I sent him a message back saying, I hope you enjoy that like eight year gap between your first two jobs <laughs> where you, you have to get a job in an office, <laughs> photocopying. But also there is, I think this is real. Someone sent me a screenshot of all the, there's all this data at the back, in the back end of Football Manager. You can check everyone's rating. You have it for coaches too. <laughs> As a coach, quite understandably, mine are all like basically one out of 20. And it's like player talent identification, one. That's <laughs> just like, basically this picture of a man who's just scowling at a football match completely unaware of what's going on <laughs> is there anything you can do about that to boost your ratings i need to get a job maybe rather than getting jobs in sort of mongolia i need to i need to just have one of those fantasy ones and get a job in like um liga or something for reasons that no one can understand <laughs> like this sometimes happens yeah, well, we, we might be talking a little bit about a League One manager of a, of a similar age and profile later. So we'll, we'll come on to that in our European roundup. Um, but first, I will introduce myself to any new listeners we have among you and those who don't remember from before. I'm a translator based in Vienna, and I took my first steps into football when I interpreted at the 2013 Champions League final between Dortmund and Bayern Munich in London. Uh, so that was my Jose Mourinho style route into the beautiful game. But what I and you too, Paul, I think, find more beautiful nowadays are these lesser known, random and obscure stories uh, from across Europe and in your case, beyond. And that's why we're, we're here today for the first Sweeper episode. What can the listeners expect on our first episode today? Give them a little foretaste of what's to come. Oh, I'm, oh so I, do I get to do the, I get to see what's coming up on the episode? That's, I feel like that's sure amazing. Do. Let's see, we're covering Malta, we're covering Bosnia, we're covering Luxembourg, we're covering Israel, Andorra, and reluctantly, maybe a bit of France and Italy, because, you know, we can't be entirely hipster can we but um it's going to be a real spread and i think it's what we want to do this podcast for is because yeah you, you just don't get to hear about a lot of this story these stories in in mainstream podcasts so yeah it's quite exciting to have the chance really well let's kick off our roundup then and we've got uh, two stories to begin with in malta and bosnia why don't you start with the one i and i don't know how you've identified this by the way but why don't you kick us off with with bosnia with Bosnia, oh well, this was really exciting to me. So Rafael Leai is basically the the great talent of Solomon Islands football, and he's become the first Solomon Islander to sign a professional contract in Europe. And he's he signed for um, Velez Mostar in Bosnia. I hope my pronunciation isn't too dreadful. <laughs> Probably is on both of the both camps. And it was basically been a long time coming. So I've been keeping an eye for quite a while because Leai was a star years and years ago. He actually started off playing futsal, which is very common in Solomon Islands. They're a powerhouse in regional futsal. They're actually, I think they're better than New Zealand. You know, they're, they're really, really good at futsal. And then that often translates to creating this, this talented technical kind of player. And Leai is like the best example of this. I think when he's 14, he went to an OFC under 18 futsal tournament and was easily the best player. He scored like a hat full of goals. So he's been precocious for years. And he's even been offered deals, I think, in Turkey, Argentina, Australia, but FIFA wouldn't allow the the visas to happen or wouldn't allow the, the deals to go through because he was too young. So it's sort of been, this moment has been a long, long time coming. 
And if anyone watched the World Cup qualifiers, the, the Oceania's slightly botched World Cup qualification uh, campaign in Doha, which they, they sort of, it was all a bit of a mess. They did it in, in a week in Doha. Um, he scored a hat-trick against Tahiti and it was, you know, it really, again, showed just how good this guy is. He's finally got his contract and it's it's all gone through. So I've been watching it for a little while. And the funny thing is that I tweeted about this and I didn't expect a massive amount of response, but there, there's been a massive response to it. And partly it's because apparently he's brilliant on Football Manager. <laughs> so loads of people are saying to me, well, yeah, we know he's great. He's on Football Manager. I, I didn't realise that. He's, he's one of those guys that everyone signs, apparently. It's a massive moment in the region. You know, it's a real inspiration from the Solomon Islands, but also way beyond that to all the Pacific Islands, kind of showing what you can achieve, I think, from a place that didn't necessarily look like a place you'd end up uh, in Europe from, really. I was talking at the pub just last night with Simon, who does some of the, the Sweepers Stadium Spotlight posts on Twitter. And he was saying that he'd seen your post on Twitter about this mm. Rafael Lea, who has joined Velez Mostar. And he said, how has Paul found out that he is the only Solomon Islander to be playing in Europe or the, or the very first? So is this like big news in the region? Is this all over Solomon Islands news? Oh, how yeah, it, has yeah. it come to your attention? Oh, it's big news. Like, it's big news in, in Oceania generally, I would say. It's one of the really sweet things that happened was I, I tweeted about it and one of the first people to message back was the former Fiji coach. I think it's Christophe Gamel. Uh, he was did a great job with Fiji as well. And um, he sent a tweet saying, you know, this is great, not just for, for the Solomons, but, you know, this is a real inspiration as well for the lads that I was coaching. And no, it, it's really big news. The fact he's the only player... I'd actually had an eye on that for a little while because I think he's done some European spells, sort of just come over to Europe for short spells to tra- train with clubs. So I sort of had it on my radar, keep an eye on him because he's going to become the first son of an Islander. But yeah, this was a really big moment and um, I really hope it works out for him. It's going to be a real, a real big one for him to change the kind of the, I think it's quite a big shift in mentality. I really hope it works. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye then on, on how Velez Mostar get on in in Bosnia this season to segue from the genuine to the the slightly bizarre Cameron Spartans are atop of the Maltese Premier League at the moment by 11 points their president uh, is a construction tycoon Uh, he's called Joseph Portelli and he has resigned in order to register himself as a player so he's long harbored ambitions of playing in the Maltese top flight he doesn't want to play regularly he just wants to wait until the league is done and dusted under wraps and then he wants to get his moment in the in the spotlight essentially but there's a bit of a twist to this story because the Maltese FA have the the final say over player registrations and they mm. they might try to block it if they feel it it poses a a reputational risk to the league so I guess my question to you, Paul, is where does this fit on the scale of bringing football into disrepute? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it's definitely a long way along the line, isn't it? But it rings a weird bell for me that I feel like there was someone who tried to do this in England. I feel like there was a chairman, a slightly crazy chairman. Uh, maybe there was more to it. Maybe it was like for charity or something. But I feel like there's a chairman in the UK who did this once, who registered, and the plan was to like play the last 10 minutes of the last game of the season when they were already promoted. I I just have this feeling it's happened. And I think it probably got blocked on those grounds that, you know, it just makes everyone look kind of bad. On another note, in Anguilla, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that FC Uprising have got a player president. 
which is around. <laughs> I think Trey Gums, because he's only 24, 25. I think he's the player and the president, but I guess the rules are very different, probably FA to FA. I'm imagining that's not such a massive... Uh, and, and he is like a good player, a young, good player. So probably more he set up a team with his mates and now he's the president. But yeah, I do think it's pretty funny. Have, have you seen him interviewed then, this this um, Hamron Spartans president? Like, is he is he explaining why why has he got to do this? Like, what's, is it just, he's basically saying it'll be a laugh or? Well, he's done it before, essentially, is the, the thing. I think he's thought, I've done it before, so I can do it again. So last April, he registered himself as a player for Nadur Youngsters. And they're a top flight club on the Maltese island of Gozo. And he scored a penalty in their 1-1 draw in the final game of the season. So he's literally come on and scored already. But now he wants to make the next step up and, uh, and play, in the, play in the Maltese Premier League. So that's his aim. But he's not, he's not officially come out with it. And it's, it, you know, it's not officially happened yet. This is just, it is being widely reported, but with, with no, no confirmation as of yet. And he's not crazily old then. It's not like he's not like 65, 70. 42, so I think he should manage a few minutes, you'd hope. Okay. No, it, it, I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. You know, the story is reminding me of, there was a president who played recently and it caused absolute chaos. It was in CONCACAF. Yeah, I've got Somewhere it. Do you remember this? And was it in a stadium named after him? Was it something like that? Like he was the president? I don't know about the stadium, but he was 60. This is the, the, the vice president of uh, Suriname, or he was at the time, Ronnie Brunswick. And he yeah. started in a football match and played for almost an hour uh, for a club called Inter Mongotapo. So excuse the pronunciation there. Mm. Um, but that was a CONCACAF League game and they lost 6-0. So that was <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> That's awful. As I remember, I think there were consequences to that, weren't there? I think, I think like somebody somewhere on the line said, no, this is, this is ridiculous. Because, I mean, it's one thing to come on for the last 10 minutes when you're 1-0 up, but to come on in a continental competition, that is, <laughs> that's ambitious. It certainly is. We'll, we'll see what happens in Malta. We'll follow that story and, and update you on, on Twitter if he does manage to get himself registered as a player. Uh, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll be back in a minute for part two, where we'll round up some of the leagues, including San Marino, Luxembourg and a few more. Welcome back to part two of the Sweeper podcast, where we round up the league action from across the 55 UEFA nations. Paul, I've been tweeting for much of the season about FC Zurich's absolutely dismal attempt at title defence in the Swiss Super League. And this unwanted record they have, or they had at least until the weekend, of being the only reigning champion in Europe in their relegation zone. Uh, I think they did get out of it on Sunday. But nonetheless, pretty dismal from champions to relegation contenders. I believe, though, in San Marino, you've identified a club on the opposite trajectory. Yes, Cosmos. I believe it's Cosmos because they're named after New York Cosmos. So SS Cosmos in San Marino were bottom last season. And not just bottom, they were rock bottom. I think they scored nine goals all season. It was a <laughs> sort of disastrous season. And they're top. They're currently top of the league in San Marino. And this is, you know, we're, we're getting into the season now. So this isn't, this isn't a fluke. They're leading the more traditional uh, heavyweights as they are of San Marino football, which, you know, La Fiorita and Trefiori and Trepene, the, the clubs you see in, in European competition very briefly every year. As far as I can see, this owes itself to the fact that they completely purged last season's squad and brought in a new one, which 
I think it's possible, more possible in San Marino because everyone is technically amateur or, you know, certainly part time. So I can imagine that contracts aren't particularly binding. So they probably just sort of threw a little very reasonable amount of money at, at players and said, you know, here's, here's a salary and, and they came in. But it's hard to get to the bottom of that because there's not a lot written about them. Um, but I think that's probably what's happened because they certainly got a couple of they've got a few really recognizable names if you tend to follow San Marino's national team and they're just absolutely destroying everyone which is which is a really unusual situation in fact it's almost impossible because they'd be relegated in any other league pretty much in Europe but there is no relegation in San Marino it's a weird one isn't it do you know how it's being reacted to in, in San Marino are some of the the traditionally like better clubs a, a little bit annoyed at the fact that they might have essentially just thrown a bit of money at this or is is it just par for the course there? You know, I'm, I really don't know. The interesting thing with this, with the money in San Marino is there obviously are times where clubs suddenly pop up and have a bit of money to splash around. And I wonder if this is actually maybe just a case of them spending that better. So I remember they, they brought in a sporting director who's, again, looks like quite a young guy. I think he might be in like his mid to late 20s even, but he probably seems to be splashing whatever cash they've got more responsibly because I don't know if you remember it was a couple of years ago now there was a little bit of press because I think it was Trepene brought in Mycon you remember the Inter player mm-hmm. former Inter player Mycon Douglas Mycon the Brazilian international and bought him only to play in their European games and it was a disaster I mean well probably no more of a disaster than it would have been normally but they lost um, I think they were dumped out at the first stage you know six or seven nil on aggregate so it was a complete you know negligible impact but I can only imagine the amount of money that they must have put in was was pretty significant I mean it was the equivalent of when Flowrider represented San Marino Europe (laughs) (laughs) bizarre moment where you you get this guy although I think Mikon had been playing in like Serie D in Italy he'd like sort of had this love of the game maybe and just was still trotting around but yeah they brought him in and so maybe this is an example of where a club again does get some money through whatever it is like a business in San Marino wants to wants to get a bit more visible and actually they've spent it really well maybe I'd I'd love to know more and I will I will find out more but obviously there's not a huge amount of great journalism that I can access on San Marino but but yeah it's um it's an amazing story and if it's happening in any other league in Europe I'm sure you'd be hearing a lot more about it absolutely but that's what we're here for to to give it a little bit of limelight Mm. I uh, I want to stick with the theme of micronations now and move on to Luxembourg and talk a little bit about a club that I didn't even know existed a year ago. And they are uh, Swift Hesperange from the town of the same name, uh, Hesperange, uh, which has 14,000 inhabitants only. So it's a pretty small place. And they've never really made any waves in Luxembourgish football. They have mm. never been champions. They have won their only domestic cup about... 30 was it 33 years ago now I think this season things seem to be turning around for them they are only one point off the lead behind Dudelange uh, they haven't lost a single game in the league which puts them in a very uh, select group of clubs in Europe that haven't lost a league game but even beyond that they have a status for having achieved something unique in European football this season and before I reveal it I'm going to quiz you Paul have you got any guesses what it might be Oh no! Uh, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, everything I'm thinking of is is really stupid. Like maybe, I mean, they must have conceded a goal. <laughs> um, are they not? 
You said they haven't lost a game. They haven't lost a game. You mm-hmm. said that already, though. So that's not that's not the. Yeah, but I said they haven't lost a league game, so maybe that gives you a little bit. Oh, of so they haven't lost in any comp. They're they're also in the in the cup and still going going strong, are they? Yep, because they didn't play European football. And... Oh, of course, because otherwise, again, that must be very rare for a minnow nation because yeah. usually your champions are in yeah knocked out. So they've not lost any game. That's no and. There was a few clubs, but I think around the turn of the year, Benfica lost to Braga at the end of mm. December, and then PSG lost to Long uh, at the start of January. And so, yeah, and they've now got this weird record as the only one of 733 top flight <laughs> clubs in Europe to have not lost a game this season. Wow, that's amazing. And yet they're what? still not top of their league. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> that's an amazing... Yeah. I'd love it if they sack their manager now. <laughs> <laughs> not achieving enough. Do you have any idea why? Like, what's happened? Like, is it a, a crop of young players, or is it like what's happened to make this team suddenly gel? That I don't know, but mm. they have managed to beat the reigning champions Dudelange four 0 this season, and that was Dudelange's only dropped points in fifteen games. So they've won all the other fourteen. So I think that tells you that, that something is is building in Hesperange. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they can sort of keep that up. They haven't lost a game since the first of May last year. So wow. it's, it's quite some time. And uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how it develops and if they can keep up a title charge. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. What a fact. You spotted a, a bit of a unique result in the Netherlands this weekend, didn't you? I say this weekend, we're recording on the 31st of January. So right right at the end of the month, <laughs> what went on? Yeah, 5-5. Five, five. You don't get a 5-all very often. And um, AZ Alkmaar and Utrecht managed to pull off a 5-5 result. And what actually re- what really hurt me was they had minutes left. The 5-5 f- the f- the equaliser was in the 80th minute. So I really feel like they could have gone more than that. But yeah, it was a, a kind of this incredible game. And in a way, actually, probably for AZ Alkmaar, a bit of a blow because they're, you know, they're second in the table. They're, they're high flying and um, they'll probably have seen that as, as a couple of points dropped. But I imagine their fans will... It'd be a weird emotion for their fans, but I think when you see a 5-5, you can't really quibble too much. Um, two Greek players both scored hat-tricks, I think, one for each team, um, I, I believe. Which I don't know how often that happens in, in the Dutch league, but that's, yeah, it's a little quirk. I saw somebody commenting on Twitter about this game saying, who gets to keep the match ball? <laughs> that's a great question. They have to saw it in half. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of that. Yeah, and I suppose they've got multiple match balls, haven't they? But yes. Yeah, I, but this is the thing. It probably usually happens when if two people score a hat-trick, it's probably usually in an absolute thrashing, like a sort of, you know, an 11-0, like a yeah, Australia, American Samoa sort of scenario where you get two players who've got hat-tricks or even three or four. But it's quite rare for there to be a hat-trick on both sides of the both sides of the, of the, of the game. And yeah, like a five-all is a score that I've you very, very rarely see. I think I can remember seeing that. Was that the score in Sir Alex Ferguson's last game in charge of Man United, where they drew 5-5 with West Brom? Oh, that rings a bell, actually. Sounds completely unrealistic as well, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like doesn't sound like something would actually have happened. But yeah, that would make sense. I think sense. Lukaku might have scored a hat-trick. but Again, that doesn't sound like something would have happened right now. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> but... Um... Yeah, uh, I don't know. It was a great, a good advert for for the Dutch era Divisio. Anyway, um, I just love games like that. I love five fives, and um, I think it was one of those good ones. Where it wasn't like there was ever a point where it was a sort of, it, it was always neck and neck, and you always felt like anyone can nick it. Except it, I think Utrecht were two up, and then it just got, yeah, amazing. 
Let's touch on some of the bigger leagues just very, very briefly before we end our, our league roundup segment. Uh, there's something I've mm. found in Italy and, and you've got a, a story you want to talk about in, in France. Monza at the weekend managed to beat Juventus, mm. which is impressive enough, but they also were beating Juventus for the second time this season. They've done the double over them as a promoted club. And I saw this, this great stat, which... I struggled to believe at first. It's almost incomprehensible. But Monza are the first new team in their debut campaign in the Italian top flight to do the double over Juventus since 1930. When, yeah, but but you unpick that stat and you actually think about it. So a newly promoted team to beat Juventus twice. Like that is a, it's not like, it's not really like Juventus have ever had any massive downturns, you know, with the exception of, you know, off the field issues like Calciopoli and stuff. Juventus are never not at the top of the table, except for this year with, you know, the chaos going on. So I guess the reality of a newly promoted team beating them twice would just be so unlikely. My mind went to Chievo, Verona, that they had that incredible first season in Serie A where they came up and they were a tiny little village club and they, they like, I can't remember if they finished fourth that year or they were, they were just insanely good. But I'm guessing they didn't manage it either that year. But yeah, what, I mean, an incredible stat. And it would be a fairy tale, except that anything Silvio Berlusconi's involved in can't really be a fairy tale. Yeah, and to to bring it all back to, to Berlusconi, who is the Monza owner, I don't know if you've seen this, but he promised at the Christmas party, the Monza Christmas party, uh, that he would bring a bus full of sex workers into the dressing room if they beat Milan or Juventus in the new year. And, uh, and that they have done, so it remains to be seen whether... Berlusconi will surpass himself and, and fulfill his promise. But he did say the day after the win that more than 100 people had already phoned him to ask if he was going to fulfill his commitment. So... Well, more, than, more than 100 people? Not, it's not even the players themselves. And that's just <laughs> interested bypassers. Oh, yeah, maybe dear. the players' wives are a little bit worried about my, <laughs> what might go on. Oh, it's so... Um, everything he, that guy does tends to, tends to be grubby, doesn't it? It would be a really heartwarming story, except for that aspect you might have to nick that out of the um, Disney version yeah well you've got a bit more of a heartwarming story in France so why don't you tell us about that yeah I, and I can't claim I know an awful lot about this but it's been doing the rounds quite recently so you've got English coach I think he's English isn't he Will Still I think he I mm-hmm. believe he's English he's only 30 I think and he is absolutely on fire um for is it Reims do you say Reims my French pronunciation is terrible I'm Italian it might Latin. be Rhin, but I'm not sure Rhin? but yeah he's been doing this incredibly good so he came in I think his route into football I think was through video analysis so he's another football manager convert I believe he's a big football manager geek and then went into the video analysis route which is quite common I think and then ended up as assistant manager at Reign and the the boss Oscar Garcia was sacked and he stayed on in this kind of I got the impression it was sort of giving him a go while they find someone else. And he's managed to rack up six wins and six draws, including at the weekend, uh, the last weekend, it was a sort of masterclass against PSG to to, to get a, a point from them. And the, the crazy thing that, that I was seeing is that they're, the club are getting fined every single game he, he manages because he hasn't got a pro licence. It's something like 20,000 euros. They have to just pay this fine every time, which is actually, I've got to say, I'm... I'm <laughs> I was a massive fan of Ted Lasso, despite thinking I'd be the world's biggest pedant. But my first note when I first watched it was, oh, they're going to get fined. He hasn't got a pro license. 
Yeah, it's it's a fascinating story, this. And I've seen some videos of some of his team talks where he launches into this absolute mishmash of sort of French and then English. So you've got the sort of effing and blinding in English and then some eloquent French. And then, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic. And when you told me about this this story before we recorded, I had a little look at his, his Wikipedia page and he's got a brother as well, uh, Edward Still who is the coach of Belgium top flight club, Eupen or Eupen. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. But I was thinking they must be the only two brothers coaching separate top flight European clubs. Well, yeah, that's a very good point. What about the, yeah, top flight, top flight. So my mind went to the, well, it stupidly went to the Neville's, <laughs> but then it went to the Inzaghi's, but ah, not yeah. top flights pippo is in is it regina Serie b so no i don't think i can think of a example that's amazing i didn't realize he had a brother that's that's amazing let's open it up to the listeners then if you can think of any brothers across europe who are coaching as head coaches separate top flight european teams then then do let us know what, what about uh, the boers did the boers ever frank de boer and ronald and, and frank, ronald and frank. If... yeah i wonder if they ever both had clubs in top flight anyway the listeners will get it i'm sure i'm not good at these kind of trivia things generally but i'm sure on the spot trivia yeah mm-hmm. well we'll leave it there for our, our league roundup we're going to take a quick break and come back for our third and final segment where we look at some bizarre cup runs and triumphs and throw some geopolitics into the mix too Welcome back to part three of The Sweeper. We're going to be talking about some memorable cup runs and triumphs in this final segment of the pod. And I'd like to start by talking about something that caught my eye around a week ago. That's Maccabi Netanya in Israel winning the Toto Cup, which I suppose for for English listeners, that's the sort of equivalent of the League Cup there their secondary cup competition. Um, it was their first major trophy. I say major. I include the the league, the state cup and and the Toto Cup in that uh, in 40 years. So quite, quite some achievement for them. But that's not what stood out to me. What stood out to me is that they won the final against Hapoel Beersheba 5-4 on penalties after a 0-0 draw. Having won the semi-final 5-4 on penalties after a 0-0 draw. Having won the quarterfinal 5-4 on penalties after a nil-nil draw. That is some remarkable consistency. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And before that, were there games, were there goals in the games before that? Or they they basically blagged the whole run without scoring any goals? So it's kind of a weird format in the Toto Cup. They only played three games to win the trophy. Wow, so really? oh. you have the Premier League, it's the Premier League clubs only in Israel. And you have the four clubs playing in Europe, which were Maccabi Netanya, Maccabi Haifa, Hapoel Beersheva and Maccabi Tel Aviv. They were in two sort of semi-finals with each other for a place in the semi-final. And then the, the other teams in the league go into two groups of five. And then the group winner goes into the semi-finals as well. Wow. So very sort of convoluted format but yeah they managed to still get through all three knockout ties without scoring a single goal there can't be many other times a team has won a tournament without scoring a single goal at all i mean outside of penalties that's rare isn't it <laughs> that's rare yeah I, I i do have one that almost won a tournament and that's in russia mm. um that was in 2011 alania vladikavkaz 
got to the final without scoring a single goal. And that was a much longer run because you, you play a lot more games in the in the Russian Cup. They had a nil-nil draw on penalties in the round of 32 and in the round of 16. They were given a bye in the quarterfinal because their <laughs> opponents, Saturn Moscow Oblast, went bankrupt. And then they drew nil-nil in the semi-final and won on penalties and then lost 2-1 in the final oh and they scored as well (laughs) yeah they actually scored in (laughs) they lost yeah they went gung-ho with their tactics you see that was their mistake yeah it's quite a cool story that one that is an amazing amazing record to have i mean you do wonder if they if they're just very good at penalties or whether they i mean it's only three games it just feels like a bit of a lottery doesn't it to do it by the same scoreline as well is uh it's just remarkable yeah, it's yeah. not even like their goalkeeper's amazing or anything. No, it's just five four every time. That's, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Andorra, a story that we sort of both identified as as one that that stood out. Why is this this cup run in Andorra stood out to you? Yeah, so there's a, a second division Andorran team. So um, again, pardon my pronunciation. I guess it's Pasta la Casa. Um, I think because it's it's Catalan rather than. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's dodgy territory for me linguistically, but um, <laughs> tiny little little place, tiny little ski resort is best known for. I think it only has about three thousand people, and this second tier Andorran club are now into the semi-finals of the Andorra Cup, so they are very close to securing a place in Europe now. And so the idea that you'd have a, not even a, a top-flight Andorran club playing in Europe is incredible. That said, they probably will be top-flight by that point because they're top of the second division another caveat they do have to see their way past um santa coloma who are one of the relative giants of of andorran football in the next round i think they're 10 time cup winners they always tend to be there or thereabouts so it's quite likely they won't win it but if they did you'd have a yeah second division andorran team in europe which would be pretty crazy as i tend to do in my spare time i was scouring the andorran media this morning and Mm. i found uh, a report of their I think it would have been their round of 16 match. There's not too many clubs in Andorra uh, where they actually lost 3-0 to uh, the reigning champions, Athletic Escaldas, who then were disqualified from the competition. Ah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. But then they won their last game 3-0, I think. They they won fairly easily in the last round. So what a weird cup run. Adds to the, the the sort of mythical status of it. I actually I had a little look on the map where where it is Pasta La Casa because on Twitter the very good Spanish language account Camino Uefa, which kind of does similar things to us but but in Spanish, said that Pasta La Casa is the highest altitude village in Europe, which I haven't been able to verify. But it's two thousand and eighty meters above sea level, so I wonder mm. if it's a sort of Bolivia La Paz style situation where their opponents can't breathe when they play away to them. <laughs> but are they playing up there? That's that's what I was trying to work out. So I was trying to see if they even I was Googling to see if they even have a stadium. Like where is their stadium? I was wondering if it's one of these situations where they all play down in Andorra La Vela, these clubs, or most probably, know. yeah. Mm. Most probably. I do love um, the thought of it. I love the thought that <laughs> they're bringing everyone up to this tiny, like, ski slope where they <laughs> where they can beat them with the cable car. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that that brings us on quite nicely to the, the the final cup story that we wanted to talk about today, because on the topic of unique transport to football matches, I wanted to talk about Soita, 
which is this very strange autonomous Spanish city in North Africa, one of two along with uh, Melilla. Um, it's about three times the size of Gibraltar, which isn't really saying much, I suppose, because Gibraltar is just tiny. But it's, it's 18 and a half square kilometers, completely surrounded by Morocco, no airport and only a helipad. So when the club, which play in the third tier of Spanish football, when they go to their away matches, they get the ferry to the Spanish mainland or, or wherever they're going. But Barcelona, who drew them in the Copa del Rey, were having absolutely none of that. They were too big to, to get the ferry. <laughs> so they flew to Malaga and then got helicopters across, I think it's called the Alboran Sea. So it's this 120-kilometer stretch of sea. They just flew... All in, all in helicopters to to Soita. Amazing! I love the thought of them coming in individual helicopters as well. Like yeah. player, one player at a time arrives in a helicopter, like put into the centre circle, and then. <laughs> I mean, that is amazing. Was it? Was this the club as well that had this this bizarre mascot? Am I right in thinking? Yeah. So they've got a mascot. He's he's very new in the role. Uh, he's a mackerel because I could be completely wrong here, but I think that is a speciality in, in, in the region or in or in this autonomous territory. He'd always wanted to be the mascot and he persuaded the club president to let him be uh, the mascot of, of the club now. So he's, he's dressed up as this, this mackerel. He's running around the, the stadium, absolutely loving life. He's a big hit there. And he's, he's a big hit with, with the media as well. I was on the website uh, El Faro de Soita this morning, which is one of their newspapers. And they said that he's been garnering a lot of attention all across Europe including in uh, Germany, where one Twitter account wrote, we want to see Kabbalati, which is his name, Kabbalati, the mascot. And I thought that sounds familiar. And it's because I wrote it. I wrote, I wrote <laughs> about two weeks ago, we want to see Kabbalati uh, in, in very probably poor Spanish. And they have identify i think that was me i mean i'm not in germany i'm in austria but i wonder if they just didn't quite work that out because i wrote that <laughs> amazing so you've sort of started a transfer rumor um... <laughs> yeah i guess you could say so but it's just just quite cool have, have you ever tried to approach your local club to be a mascot pool i can't say that i have but i love that like he's done that and now suddenly they've had their biggest like most high profile cup tie ever so he's got to be slightly thinking this is his doing, right? I mean, like it looks good on his record. And I do, you do wonder if maybe there'll be that big money swoop for him. You'll see him just turn up at Chelsea. <laughs> you'll just do their Carabao Cup games or something. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I did see on Twitter this month that the uh, a YouTuber I, I really like called Ellis Platten, he put a note out saying, is there anybody that would be prepared to let me be their mascot for a day? And the Slovenian Football Federation got back to him and said, sure. <laughs> amazing that's absolutely amazing i wonder what day they'll give him just just like a normal admin day you just have to sit in a costume at your computer and sort of tie <laughs> well like, maybe they'll even give him a euro qualifier who knows yeah <laughs> i never really think about mascots although as a bristol city fan one of my happiest memories of uh watching the club was when our mascot started a fight with the wolves wolf um, and they were just they were just going after each other, but obviously in the costumes it was absolute. And and obviously the club had to apologise, and it was made into like what an embarrassment. But the fact, I mean, you couldn't think of a better thing for the fans. Like it was, it made our season. It was a dreadful season, but it, it was the best thing that happened. 
that's absolutely brilliant that might be a good good note to end this pod on unless you've got anything else that you wanted to, to no, bring no, to the listeners that. ears how can you top that really yeah quite well we'll leave it there for today then that brings us nicely to the end of the first episode if you enjoyed this podcast and you made it this far please do leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice and forward this episode on to any family friends or other unsuspecting individuals who might enjoy it uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SweeperPod, where we post regular updates, facts, maps, trivia, and all sorts of stuff you can enjoy while waiting for the next episode. So that's it from us. Thanks for listening to The Sweeper. You've been listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast. If you like what you've heard, come and follow us on Twitter at SweeperPod and leave a review for us on your podcast platform of choice. Special thanks go to the Gentleman Creatives Design Agency in Vienna, Austria for their amazing graphics and logos. You'll find them too if you come to our Twitter page.